1: Welcome to the BCP podcast. Hope you had a great weekend. I am James, aka Black Sort of Patriot. Big hug to all of y'all, and a big hug to you, Marie, who recognized me and so gracious. Uh, Marie was behind me at the line at the bank. I went and, well, I'm also just be honest. I had to pay my taxes to the state of Utah. Because I, I filed an extension and October 16th is when, you know, you have to pay your taxes. So I made my uh, tax payment to the state of Utah today. And uh, she was uh, behind me and waited till I exited the bank before, I, you know, I came out. And she goes, are you BCP? And I know that I was um, had to transfer money from one account to the other account so I could make that tax payment. And so that uh, I had a new guy and it just took a few minutes. Probably, I think she's probably waiting 10 minutes uh, when I came outside. And then she goes, you know, respectfully, but sheepishly, are you BCP? I go, oh, absolutely. And then I got to meet her and her daughter. So big hug to both of them. I didn't give them a physical hug because I'm just coming over a bug and I did not want to share that. But uh, if you meet Marie, she can attest uh, that I gave her a virtual air hug. So if you ever see me or meet me, Come up to me and let me know. Don't be shy. Say, hey, BCP, I, I, I'm tickled pink by it. It's nice to meet you folks in real life. So big hug to all of y'all. Uh, I want to play a clip for you. This is Joe Biden. He sat down for a 60-minute uh, interview with Scott Pelley. It aired uh, last night, Sunday. And most of his the questions were around Hamas and what's going on uh, in the Middle East and in Israel, that at least 29 Americans have been killed by Hamas, at least a dozen have been taken hostage. And at one point, Scott uh, Pelley asked Biden if he was really serious about running for uh, re-election. He asked Biden this after he acknowledged that he is the oldest U.S. president. I want you to listen very closely to the answer that the fake president, Joe Biden, who was not duly elected because the 2020 election was stolen and rigged, I want you to hear his answer and see if you don't pick up on something very key here.
0: Are you sure that you want to run again? Yes, because I'm sure. Look, when I ran, I said, the world's at an inflection point. The world's changing we have an opportunity to make it. So imagine if we were able to succeed in getting the Middle East put in place where we have normalization of relations. I think we can do that. Imagine what happens if we, in fact, unite all of Europe and Putin is finally put down where he cannot cause the kind of trouble he's been causing. We have enormous opportunities.
1: Joe Biden says that we're at an inflection point and he needs to run again so that we could have a normalized Middle East. When President Trump was in office, he did the Abrahamic Accords. There was peace in the Middle East. He says, imagine uh, we can unite all Europe. He got Europe to actually pay into NATO, something they weren't doing. And there were no new wars or conflicts under Trump. And he says, we can finally put, uh, Putin is finally put down. Putin wasn't doing anything. He only did things under Obama's, uh, you know, when Obama was in office. And again, when Obama was in office via the fake president, Joe Biden, he wants to pretty much reboot things back to how they were before they stole the election and put Joe Biden in. But another thing you may have noticed that he wants to be reelected because of the Middle East and Europe and Russia. He didn't even mention the American people as a reason why he wants to run for re-election. Let that sink in. And what do you hear President Trump talk about all the time? He wants to take us back to energy independence, low interest rates, low inflation, safety, security at our border, opportunity. He wants to be an American president, not a globalist leader like Joe Biden. And Joe Biden hates anti-globalism. He hates Trump. And he hates us MAGA folk as well. And he had yet another Hillary Clinton basket of deplorables moment in that same interview with 60
0: Minutes. Look, this is not your father's Republican Party. 30% of it is made up of these MAGA Republicans who are maybe... Democracy is something I don't... They don't look at it the same way you and I look at democracy.
1: Yeah, those 30% MAGA Republicans, which are probably more than 30%, by the way, We're not the same as our our previous Republicans. You know what? We could say the same thing about the Democrat Party, right? The Democrat Party today is not the same as the Democrat Party of my parents or grandparents that were for American workers and we could all agree on civil liberties, the right, uh, you know, freedom of speech. I remember back in the day, the the liberals were, were, were even like, hey, I don't want to have a gun but you can have your Second Amendment right to a gun. So I guess the same thing could be said. But the way that Biden means it is that we are anti-democratic. Well, we are anti-pure democracy. I know some of you guys get caught up on uh, the word democracy. I know we're not a pure democracy. We are a republic, but we are a representative form of a democracy where we the people don't vote for every little thing, but we do vote for representatives that represent us and vote for us. So we are a democracy, just not a pure democracy. We're a representative constitutional republic. All right, let me do, I I know you guys hate hearing from Joe Biden, but these things are important that we cover. So let me just show you one last Joe Biden uh, clip because it'll also let me segue into the other stories. So on Saturday, uh, Joe Biden delivered remarks at the 2023 Human Rights Campaign National Dinner. Okay, you know, it was full of gaffes and lies, but... uh, this is one of Biden's favorite lies and he's got many that he shared yet again. But you know, this story keeps evolving. So, let me play this for you and then uh we'll break it down.
0: I've told the story before, but telling it again, I was I was raised by a man who was a really decent honorable man. I remember he's dropping me off. I wanted to be uh, I, I, I wanted to work in the projects as a lifeguard on the east side of Wilmington. And he was dropping me off on his way to work at the City Hall to go get an application to be a lifeguard there. And as I got out of the car at the four, four corners in the, the center of town, two men, turns out one going to the Brandywine, one was at work for the, the, uh, the DuPont Company, the other worked for Hercules Company. This is back when I was a kid. And they leaned up and kissed one another. And I'd never seen that before. And I turned and looked at my dad and he just looked at me and said, Joey, it's simple. It's simple Joey. they love one another.
1: Yeah, that story evolves and that story probably never even happened. Let's uh, let's look at this. By the way, it uh, the Washington Post fact checker Glenn Kessler calls uh, BS on Biden's dubious claims. He said uh, here's a bullet point bullet points. gay men were largely closeted at the time. Biden's story has evolved over time, and Biden's has had a shifting view on same-sex marriage over time. So this story probably is BS. Uh, Biden voted for the Defense of Marriage Act in 1996. By the way, he repeated a version of the same lie in June. He claimed he saw two well-dressed men standing on the corner kissing each other when he was a kid. In another version of the story of the lie, Biden claims that he was actually the father in the story, and he told his kids that it's simple; they love each other. So, in one and the version he told over the weekend, his father is the one who told them this. And in a previous version of the story, he is the father in the story. But the, the the latest version from this weekend seems even more ridiculous because we're expected to believe that Biden's father, who was born. Uh, in the early part of the 20th uh, century, in the early 1900s, and who was raised by a father who was born in the 1800s, taught him that he should be tolerant of men kissing, that that was normal, it's just about love. And let's not forget that as as as, as recently as 2006, Biden was publicly against gay marriage. He told CNN in 2006, look, marriage is between a man and a woman. Tell me why that has to be put in the Constitution now. We already have a federal law that has not been challenged. No one's declared unconstitutional. It's the law of the land saying marriage is between a man and a woman. That was less than 20 years ago. But when he was a child, his dad said it's simple. Two men love each other. And the chances of two men kissing in Wilmington, Delaware, you know, 70 years ago, when most homosexuals were closeted, is probably... uh, yeah, highly unlikely. Speaking of highly unlikely, it is highly unlikely that Mike Pence has anything left of a political career. NBC News, um, mounting debt threatens Mike Pence's campaign. Pence's 2024 effort has $1.2 million on hand, but has built up $620,000 in debt. A major warning sign for a presidential campaign. What? Why would they have debt? I mean, I guess they have credit card debt, but shouldn't that just be, if you have a war chest, I, I don't understand how camp, campaign finance works. But uh, former Vice President Mike Pence's 2024 campaign faces a potentially ex- existential cash squeeze with debt already piling up. The campaign told NBC News it will report having raised $3.3 million in the third quarter with $1.2 million cash on hand and 620000 in debt when his campaign finance Filing is due to be made public Sunday. Pence himself chipped in $150,000 from his personal funds. <clears throat> At least he's putting his money, or part of his money, where his mouth is. Pence's numbers reveal a campaign under serious strain operating on completely different financial terrain from that of his rivals, and they raise questions about his ability to continue to compete in the GOP primaries. Racking up debt in particular has long been a sign of presidential campaigns in trouble and potentially on the verge of ending. The last GOP presidential primary season offers an ominous parallel from this moment eight years ago. Then Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker's campaign reported just under $1 million in the bank and $161,000 in debt at the end of the third quarter of 2015, the equivalent moment in that election cycle. That's when he dropped out of the race. So that's what happens when you're a turncoat, Mike Pence. People aren't going to want to uh, uh, support you, especially when your campaign strategy is to insult, smear, and attack. President Trump at every stop and in every mainstream media interview. That is the analysis of one great Jim Hoft over at the Gateway Pundit. For instance, um, I think I played this on the show. Mike Pence blamed President Trump after the attack by Hamas on Israel. And in back-to-back attacks in a speech in Iowa last Saturday... After the massive slaughter by Hamas in Israel and on CNN interview on Sunday, Pence accused Trump, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, and businessman Vivek Ramaswamy of appeasement and signaling retreat. I don't think he, even though he's putting $150,000 in, he can't possibly think this strategy is going to win for him. Absolutely ridiculous. Now here's something interesting. Uh, Mike Pence also went on CNN to bash President Trump and to declare that Hezbollah was evil. You know, another new low moment for Mike Pence. Uh and Steve Bannon. Steve Bannon just had a great breakdown of it. Let me let me play this for you. Steve Bannon is great. Great analysis. Um Steve Bannon on Mike Pence and his ridiculousness.
2: Let me let me play Mike Pence. This is a Judas Pence who for some reason bugs me so much because I think he's just a reminder of everything that got us into this mess. So let's, let's, the mindless kind of, you know, you know, that, that deep voice and he's knit a brow and he's going to give some profundity, right? Let's, let's play Mike Pence for a second. Trump also praised the Iran-backed militant group Hezbollah as very smart. Do you think he understands the, the difference between good and evil?
0: Uh, Hezbollah is not very smart. Hezbollah is evil. And, and Does again, Trump understand we, that? we need leaders in this country. We need leaders in this country who will speak in moral terms in these moments. I mean, this is I, 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 I must tell mm-hmm. you, look, mm-hmm. I, 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 you got ignoramus one
1: interviewing dumbass two. Are these people so stupid or think that we're so stupid that we don't understand between smart and good and evil, they're mutually exclusive. You could be evil and brilliant and intelligent and smart. Absolute insanity. To even make this comparison. I mean, evil people make smart moves all the time. That's how they're able to manipulate, kill, maim, get into power. That's how they're able to commit crimes. You think every criminal is Stupid. I mean, how many criminals have never gone to jail, never been caught? We don't even know who they are. How many unsolved cases are there? How many cold cases there are? Because evil people were very smart and methodical in committing their crimes. They are smart. And they are evil.
2: No, no. First off, you're not a leader. You're not a leader in this country. And you're not going to be a leader in this country. Nobody cares about what you say except for the 2 or 3% that wander around with you and mother.
1: Wander around, around you and and mother? Is that what he calls uh, Mrs. Pence? That's funny.
2: Was it not Donald J. Trump when you were sitting there with like a a tyke, a a kid in short pants? Because nobody asked you in the White House for years. You had all the time in the White House and nobody asked your opinion on anything. Until for some reason they put you in charge of the task force on 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 uh, on uh, COVID. And that turned out great. Right. You were in charge of that. Fauci reported to you. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Fauci reported to you. all in your book
1: oh man that that was brutal hey Mike Pence no one ever asked your opinion before you sat there like a tyke in short pants nobody in the White House asked you about your opinion on anything man just I aspire to be at the level of Steve Bannon he's older than I am he was a f- investment banker like I was, except I think he was a Goldman Sachs or Morgan Stanley, some big company. And I was with uh, accounting firm, Arthur Anderson, and with a small boutique firm. And I'm not in that stratosphere, but I I aspire to be able to just say things like that. He sat there like a tyke in short pants. Nobody in the White House asked you about your opinion on anything. Now, of course, Steve Bannon was in the White House. So he's saying this as a person who observed Mike Pence. Now, another person that is never going to be president at least in 2024, I doubt they'll ever be president is Tim Scott. Now, I want to show you his most recent ad or one of his most recent ads from a few days ago, not because this is this is an endorsement of Tim Scott, but because his his political ad is a sign of the times. Can you imagine this being a political ad for a GOP primary candidate just 20 years ago. Oh, not because he's a black man. That has nothing to do with race. It has to do with the very first topic that he's discussing in this ad. If God made you a man, you should
0: play sports against men. But today, even that simple truth is under attack by the radical left. As president, I will defend women's sports, keep men out of the girls' locker room, and stop the liberal indoctrination of our children. We need to teach our kids to love America and to respect the values that make this the greatest country on
1: earth. I'm Tim Scott, and I approve this message. I, too, approve the message, the message about men playing in men's sports and women playing in women's sports. Check out this crazy story. Um, This is, let me just show you this tweet here. Race organizers of USA Cycling need to stop calling these women's events. You are fooling nobody. These are beta male races where some women get to be involved. In the process, you are turning your sport into a joke. And then, you know, if you look at the tweet here, it uh, it shows here. Today, male racers Tessa, Michael Johnson, and Evelyn Williamson once again prove they are great at women's cyclocross cross. At Jackson Park in Chicago. Johnson took uh, first in both the women's 1-2 and the single speed. And Williamson took, oh my gosh, I guess I need glasses now. That's why I have them here. Second in the women's single speed. Now, I don't mean to crass here, but I'm looking here at this uh, picture of women's 1-2. And um, the person who came in first looks like a man. Like, not even like one of those, like, I identify as a woman. Full-on man. Got a bulge in his bike shorts there. In what world is he a woman? I I just, I just, this is just more and more ridiculousness. What was billed as a woman's bicycle race in Chicago was won by two men with a top female finisher placing third. Uh... The Post reported that Williamson had racked up 18 wins since he began competing against women in 2017. The report noted that in 2020, Williamson entered against both women and men in the Sky Express winter uh, event. He won the first place against women, but did not place when competing against other men. Absolutely ridiculous. Uh, The person who, who, Linda Blade, who from that previous tweet I showed you, She's a former coach, so good, good, uh, good thing people are to, are are speaking out. David Zaylor, those men must be proud, he tweeted out. And then I love this one from uh, uh, Emma Diamond: Only the weakest of males want to physically compete with women; only the weakest of intellect celebrate them. But the race organizers, they don't care; they just don't care. This is going to continue to happen until there's going to be no women. And for all the dumbass women that are supporting the trans agenda, uh, that is, you're the worst feminist ever. Literally giving more rights to men just because they say they're women. It, the, the, the psychological operation and its success when it comes to the whole trans thing is completely mind-boggling to me. All right, here's a post from the Washington Post a few days ago. A 21-year-old University of Wyoming student was looking for community. Instead, she faced death threats, a federal lawsuit, an attempt to kick her out. With a picture of a guy, a fat guy with glasses. Hey, look, I'm a fat guy with glasses. For those of you watching the video, look at this. I'm a fat guy with glasses. I am not a woman. Look, I'm a fat guy. I this on my neck. You can see. You can see the folds of my neck. Look at that. I'm fat. I look like of um, J- uh, J- 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 the Hutt. I'm a fat guy with glasses. I am not a woman. Nor is this person here in this Washington Post tweet and article. Um, <clears throat> the context. Readers added context. They thought people might want to know. This is the new Twitter. Langford is a heterosexual man. In 2018, the sorority sorority changed its rules to allow men to join if they claim to be trans. Langford used this to get a place. Sorority members tried to remove Langford after male pattern lewd behavior, but failed due to the 2018 rule change. Well, those girls were stupid. Bad feminists. When you actually click on the Washington Post, they say a trans woman joined a sorority. Then her new sisters turned on her. A 21-year-old University of Wyoming student was looking for community. Instead, she faced death threats, a federal lawsuit, and attempt to kick her out. Yeah, it'd be nice if we got the whole story. Like, uh, the fact that... Um, here, here's the story. <clears throat> Transgender pervert who joined the Kappa Kappa Gamma sorority at the University of Wyoming <clears throat> joined so he could peep on naked college girls. In September of 2022, the, Wyoming, the Wyoming-based chapter of Kappa Kappa, Kappa Kappa Gamma voted to allow a 6-2 biological man who uses the name Artemis Langford to join a sor- sorority. Six of the sorority sisters filed a lawsuit claiming the transgender pervert was watching them undress. The plaintiffs asked the court to force the sorority to define the word woman so they could decide who could move into a sorority house. District Court Judge Allen B. Johnson, a Reagan appointee, dismissed the case in August, ruling that the sorority had a right to decide the definition of woman for itself. This happened despite Kappa Kappa Gamma bylaws that state a new member shall be a woman. The sorority was ultimately forced to admit Artemis Langford back in, even though he is a sexual deviant and a peeping Tom, who often watches college girls undress while erect, according to the testimony. But of course, as I showed you, the Washington Post painted Langford as a victim and attacked the sorority sisters because they don't want some fat guy with glasses and lipstick getting a hard-on watching his sorority sisters um, undress. Sorry to be crass, but that's what we're talking about here. All right, let's get into some Epstein news. Epstein victim who testified again against Ghislaine Maxwell has died, and her family wants answers. Jelaine Maxwell... I mean... Uh, Epstein went to jail and was killed. Jelaine Maxwell is in jail. Who, who? We know the, some of the victims. Who are the Johns? We'll never know. I don't think we'll ever know. Carolyn Adriano, a victim of sex trafficker Jeffy Epstein, whose testimony was crucial to putting away his accomplice, Jelaine Maxwell, has died. <clears throat> there was no obituary or funeral service after she died or this year, and police in West Palm Beach, Florida, opened an investigation to her, into her death. This is a Daily Beast article from the 14th, a few days ago. The Daily Beast reached out for comment, and the police spokesman, Mike Jockle, told us that the investigation was concluding and that Carolyn died of an accidental overdose. Overdose. I say overdose. The 36-year-old mother of five had planned to start a new chapter in North Carolina at a new house with a fireplace and a half acre with a chicken coop. Carolyn and her husband, John Pitts, had purchased the property just weeks before she was found unresponsive in a West Palm Beach hotel room on May 23rd. Before her death, she was ecstatic. Carolyn's mother, Dorothy Gronert, told the Daily Beast she was all set up for a whole new lifestyle. Gronert says Carolyn's death came as a shock because she was working on building a new life and texted her recently about being free of drugs and alcohol. The way Gronert sees it, some things about her daughter's overdose don't make sense and she wants the cops to investigate further. Jockles, however, said that Carolyn's case would officially be closed this week. They say that they responded, she had an overdose they try to resuscitate her and she was not able to resuscitate her. They're going to close the case. No, uh, uh, the, there was an autopsy done. The toxicology report found a few drugs in there. And it's inconclusive if she had been clean or not. Another suspicious death. The mom wants answers. She won't get any. Now what's interesting is she's worth a lot of money. And she hadn't updated her will for her new husband, so he may not get the hundred million plus that set up an account for the victims of Epstein. Generally, isn't the husband always the first person to look into? I always tell my wife she if she accidentally dies, uh make sure she does it while I'm at church with a whole bunch of other people, which would be kind of tough because we go to church together. But when I turn when she dice accidentally make sure that that it's somewhere where I'm public if I'm not with her, so I, I have an alibi and they don't try to put me in jail. Terrible joke, but these are the jokes that you sometimes make when you've been married for almost 27 years. So another mysterious death. Also in Epstein News, former JP Morgan Chase top executive and ex-Barclay CEO, Jess Daly, is facing a lifetime ban from senior roles in financial services as well as a £1.8 million or $2.2 million fine by UK's Financial Conduct Authority. The ban and the fine are for allegedly misleading the FCA, Financial Conduct Authority, over his relationship with Jeffrey Epstein. Reuters is reporting uh, the following. The FCA has found that Mr. Staley recklessly approved a letter sent by Barclays to the FCA, which contained two misleading statements, about the nature of his relationship with Jeffrey Epstein and the point of their last contact. Staley said that he was very disappointed by the FCA's decision and that he would continue to challenge it in court. The FCA is obviously a regulatory body in the UK. So, some people are suffering something most people are not for their association with Epstein. Now, someone who's exposed Epstein... And exposed the deep state for what they're doing and what they've done is Owen Schroyer, journalist over at InfoWars. InfoWars reporter and war room host Owen Schroyer was sentenced to 60 days in prison back in September in a D.C. kangaroo court for his actions on January 6th and before. What did he do? Well, he stood outside the Capitol on January 6th and warned Trump supporters not to go into the building. But of course, his crime is frequently speaking out against the stolen election of 2020. DOJ prosecutors sought prison time against Owen for his speech crimes, and of course, the D.C. judge agreed. Judge Tim Kelly sentenced Owens to 60 days in prison, and this is what happened. Owen Schroyer has been fined this for a long time. In June, he pleaded guilty to a Class A misdemeanor of entering and remaining in a restricted building or grounds on January 6th. He was on the grounds. He was initially charged in August of 2021, eight months after remaining outside the U.S. Capitol on January 6th and warning Trump supporters to not enter the Capitol along with Alex Jones. After nearly two years of fighting charges and having mounting bills related to his presence outside the U.S. Capitol, he made the decision to plead guilty to a lesser charge, and now they want him in jail for 60 days. So instead of saying that he was a hero for telling people not to go in the Capitol, because he's with Infowars, he's associated with uh, Alex Jones, and because he's a Trump supporter, Tim Kelly denied his appeal. He's got to turn himself in uh, in, uh, in eight days from now. And of course, with 60 days in jail for being on the grounds, not even inside, he's going to miss Thanksgiving and Christmas. But BLMers and others, there's no bail for them, and they don't go to jail. The whole thing is absolutely disgusting. I'll be back tomorrow with more reporting. Thanks for joining me. I am James. This is the BCP Podcast. We've got a lot of ground to cover and more reporting for you. Hang tight. Ciao, goodbye, God bless, and pray that I continue to have a voice been a little tough. My voice is coming back, but I'm still struggling as you can hear. I appreciate your patience, especially those of you listening to on the podcast who probably can pick up more on it than those who have some sort of visual distraction on the video one. Tell a friend about the show. We can't grow without you. We have no funnel to let people know that we're here. So introduce the show to other folks. Get the word out there. Ciao.
0: Goodbye. Big hug. God bless. We're in a situation where we have put together, and you guys did, did it for our administ- the President Obama's administration before this. We have put together, I think, the most extensive and inclusive voter fraud organization in the history of American politics.